Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Jake in the Paint podcast. I'm joined by the NBA guy himself again, Sam Herbst. How are you doing during quarantine? I'm good. I'm good. I'm missing sports, missing the NBA, but uh, holding up. Yeah, I'm obviously brutal for everyone. Sending our prayers to everyone that's been affected by COVID-19 and the pandemic. But speaking, missing sports, missing basketball, especially. Are you? I know I found myself scrolling through YouTube to find any games I can watching a lot of 80s games, 90s games. Have you found yourself doing that? How are you filling your basketball void? I've been doing a little bit of both in terms of watching stuff that's just live, like letting people choose for me. I watched yeah. a lot of Lin, I watched the Lynn Sanity games the past two mm-hmm. nights on MSG. Yeah. Um, a lot of the Last Dance stuff has had me watching a lot of 90s and 80s hoops. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of highlights and just trying to – it's tough to stay away from it, but um, it's been a, it's been it's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. Um, obviously, we're gonna talk Last Dance. We'll talk some NBA playoffs, what ifs, because it's looking like those sadly aren't gonna happen, and the season's just gonna get canceled, which is crazy. I mean, if I would have told you a month ago the season gets canceled out of nowhere, I don't even know what you would say. So we're gonna talk some NBA playoffs, a little bit of draft stuff at the end, kind of covering a lot of bases here. Um, if you want to dive right into it, we can just go with the NBA playoffs. So I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. All right. So basically the idea of this was the NBA playoffs is kind of a parameter that pushes teams in either direction in the off season, whether if they make a playoff push, okay, we'll buy back in, we'll run this group back. But if they get bounced, then it kind of pushes the front office to make some moves. The fans get a little angry and apply that pressure. Now, without the playoffs, the front offices aren't going to have that as a data point to go with in either way in the offseason. But the offseason is still going to happen. Contracts are still due. There's still free agency. There's still the draft. Everything else is happening. But the front offices kind of just have to go with their gut to how good their team really is. So I asked Sam to kind of just come up with three takes that he would have had because we probably would have been doing some sort of playoff podcast. So pretending like the NBA season is going to go on and the playoffs are starting in a couple of days, um, I asked Sam to prepare some three bold takes. Not necessarily hot, but just most confident takes. And we'll alternate. You want to start off with yours first? Yeah, I'll start off with mine. Um, two of mine have to do with the finals matchup. So mm-hmm. I'll give you my team out of the East. Um, and that would be the Bucks. I'm very confident in them. Um, I was hoping to get out to Pfizer for a game while I was at school. Yeah. Um, but without that being possible um i'm still really confident in the where I, I would have been really confident in the bucks um i think that defensively and offensively they've kind of continued to develop this identity that giannis and his improvements and middleton and his improvements and uh all the role players that they've added like lopez and matthews and a improved Bledsoe and stuff like that i think that overall um mm-hmm. They were the best team in the East, and I really don't think it was very close. Um, I know that they have ran into um, some tough matchups when either the shooting is off or Giannis gets gets in trouble with his matchups or something like that. But I don't think in a seven-game series, um, I I was really doubting that anybody was going to give them a tough time on on their way to the finals. So like Sam, I also really like the Bucks. My bold take, I said that they were going to win the finals. Um, I went I went a step further. Yeah, I, taking it taking it another step <laughs> up. I like it. So I 
I prefer them. And this has been my take for about three weeks. And everyone I tell it to, they t- think I'm crazy because they thought everyone thinks, oh, it was LeBron's year. The Lakers were awesome. The Lakers were awesome. I think the Clippers were also really damn good too. I don't think it's necessarily just like the Lakers year. But with the Bucks, I just think we're talking about a historically great team that just wasn't getting the love that they deserved because whatever their Milwaukee year, they choked last year to the Raptors. But the Raptors were also pretty damn good. So, I mean, I just pulled some stats for the Bucks this year. Like, if we're just talking about an unreal basketball team that isn't getting as much love as they deserve, like Zach, I mean, Zach Lowe talked about on his podcast, like, are they just a dominant title contender, just like the easy pick that's getting completely overlooked? Yeah, they're, they're so good, it's just, it's boring at this it's point. It's boring, how good yeah, they I are. Mean, a net re- they have a net rating. So, basically, their offensive rating minus defense rating, for those who don't know, the, um, they had a net rating of 11.3, just regular, every single night. They're, I mean, as a point differential, that's absolutely insane. The next closest team was at 7.4. So they're basically just like, I mean, so many times better than the next team in the regular season. And the point that I really liked and that I keep coming back to and anyone brings up the Lakers or whatever is they did all that with playing Giannis 31 minutes a night. Like he star- didn't even need to play in crunch times when you yeah. compare to a guy like LeBron or, mm-hmm. who not even just the minutes per game, but down the stretch, the, those Bucks games were out of hand. It was, out of hand. As soon as you got towards the end of the fourth quarter, you didn't even need to put, play the starters. It was yeah. like 2K level ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, not only is he playing 31 minutes a night, but they're probably 31 less stressful minutes. So, I mean – any NBA player will tell you, any basketball player will tell you, not all minutes are treated equally. Those minutes at the end of the fourth that Giannis are, is missing out on because he's on the bench because they're up 15, like just that extra gear left in the tank that he can then bring out in the in the fourth quarter of a playoff game in mid, in the middle of May that other guys can't. I just think that, again, can take them, take them to the next level. And then uh, another pushback I got was, oh, is Chris Middleton really – a number two on a championship team. And to answer that question, like, fuck yes, he is. Like, Chris Middleton, I mean, you know, because you watch Bucks games. I watch a ton of them because they're super fun, and I love Chris Middleton. Like, he was unreal this year. Absolutely yeah, he's, unreal. he's way better than people give him credit for, and it's it's moved past in the past, like in the past couple of years where it's been he's a guy who can hit the three, mm-hmm. he's a guy that can create his own shot. It's It's become where when he's out there without Giannis – he has that confidence to be the alpha and take over um, by himself. And I think it was maybe against the Knicks when I saw him one time in person and he had like 40 and was Mm -hmm. just like draining buckets. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? And it was, he's moved past the three and D mold and he's kind Mm -hmm. of trying to become a playmaker and trying to become that next level superstar that they need him to be. Mm -hmm. Um, I was really, really one of the main things I'm, going to miss about the playoffs is what his role would have been in these series and his role would have been against the best teams because he caught a lot of hate for his performance last year and I was ready for him to kind of to uh disprove the haters and he he may not get that full chance but um I'm really excited for him going forward yeah I mean we're both on the same page there he's awesome and just that one-two punch with him and Giannis who Giannis I don't think, I mean, I think he's the best player in the world right now, and I don't really think it's close. Like, LeBron is incredible. LeBron is first or second, however you want to say it, best player to ever touch a basketball. But right now, this year, Giannis was the best player in the world. Like, 
you can't necessarily compare like the box score stuff because Giannis is only playing 31 minutes a game like we talked about. But if you even it out on a playing field per 100 possessions, per 75 possessions, per however many minutes you want, you look at any impact metric, Giannis just runs away with it. I mean, he was that good. And their starting lineup was that good. That lineup with Wesley Matthews and Bledsoe to go along with that, with Brooke Lopez holding it down. Like that lineup was, I wrote it down there, plus 19.1 is their net rating, five points, five and a half points better than any other starting lineup. Like they were just super dominant. I mean, the numbers speak for it. The eye test speaks for it. And I just think they were an underrated, just not sure thing, but they kind of should have been getting a lot more love than they were. Agreed. Agreed. All right, so moving on to your next one. Who you got? Yeah, my, my next one is going to finalize my finals matchup. And just because of how some of those games went down the stretch uh, between them, it was kind of hard to be so confident in the team to win. But I like the Lakers to come out of the West. Um, I think just every time I watched LeBron this year, it was he's in total control. And yeah. I love LeBron. I've um, never seen him play with this kind of impact on the – on each play where him and Anthony Davis are really just, I think one of the best number two he's ever had next to him. Um, and I think that some people will say Kyrie hit that shot and they both put up great numbers in a finals game, but the physical dominance of Anthony Davis gives them, and I'll get into this later when we talk about um, the playoffs and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but the physical uh, ability of Anthony Davis gives them so many possibilities. And I think it really comes down to them or the Clippers. Um, I think the West is super deep, but when it comes to the battle of LA, um, I don't know. There, there was more to love about the Lakers for me. And um, whether it was the, not that much continuity from the Clippers or mm-hmm. Paul George not producing at the level that everyone expects him to, Whatever it is, I really, really liked this Lakers team going into the playoffs and was really excited to them to see them run through the West. Yeah. I mean, LeBron was on another level this year. Just as I've like, look, I may not be the biggest LeBron fan, but you have to be blind if you don't appreciate watching him play basketball. And this year, especially just seeing him take that more, like take more of a playmaking role and know that Anthony Davis is on his team. And Anthony Davis is probably one of the five best players in the world right now. And I agree with you. I think he's best number two he's ever had. I mean, does he have the shot making that, okay, LeBron can go off ball and take a break. He doesn't bring that edge that Kyrie has, but I think Anthony Davis makes a much bigger impact on the game than Kyrie ever could have. And just that tandem together, watching them play off each other was super, super fun. I stayed away from those two LA teams because I really didn't know which way to go I thought you really couldn't go wrong but I definitely see how someone can get behind the Lakers the way they were playing yeah and we saw on Christmas day when they played it was if there's a series that went down between the LA teams it's going to be neck and neck the whole time it's it's tough to be confident in the team winning in less than six games um especially that they play in the same arena and a lot of the home environment is kind of changed by the other team um, I would have loved, and I still would love to see that series go down. Obviously, it's going to be in a different environment, but um, I just give me LeBron's experience and give me the, I don't know, the the stuff that you can't teach that LeBron brings, the aura that he brings to the game, mm-hmm. and um, especially with all the tragedy with Kobe and everything. I think that he would have really invigorated that franchise and taken them to the next level. So yeah. the things you can't really teach or see on a statute. 
Yeah, no, I buy it. I buy it for sure. I'll go. So then I'll go to my next West take. Since I stayed away from the LA teams, I showed some skepticism for the Jazz, and I said they would get they would have gotten bounced in the first round. Um, the Jazz were one of my favorite teams coming into the year. They were my first 2K team that I played with when the game came out. Um, I thought, I mean, I got, I got the skepticism at first, but I was like, they're just. Like they finally have that second guy, that other that secondary ball handler, maybe even primary ball handler to put alongside Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. They got Boyan and free agency. Like it's just it fits too well. They're, they it makes too much sense, and that's ultimately what it came down to because they had six guys that fit in their starting lineup, and you just saw throughout the season, Quinn Snyder, whether it was Royce O'Neal, whether it was Joe Ingles, they kind of couldn't figure out that starting five to go along with Conley and Mitchell. Now I was looking at some numbers and some lineup data and their best five man lineup by far, like by a very decent amount was without Mike Conley. It was the Royce O'Neal, Joe Ingles, Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, and Boyan. That was their best lineup. It was plus 13. And with and then their other there were a bunch of lineups with Conley that were just near not nearly as good. So yeah, Royce Royce got a ton of love this year, and I Royce, think he's I think he he's maybe awesome. up. Is he maybe up after this year, or maybe it's one more year? But I'm not um, sure. But I think he's I loved I too. loved watching every time I was either watching the Jazz or they came up in highlights or something like that. I was always really impressed by Royce O'Neal. So I'm it does not surprise me that that lineup takes the cake. Oh, so they extended him. I, I thought they extended him. They just extended him for a bargain deal, four for 36. Right, right, I mean, right, right, right. So there you go. I mean, so they that's going to be a great deal for them in the next couple of years. But yeah, that lineup was awesome. But my kind of skepticism revolves around, okay, is Quinn, when in crunch time or in starting lineup, is he going to pull the trigger and not start Conley? And if he doesn't, how does Conley handle that? And then I also had some worries about Donovan Mitchell. Um, I think... He's really damn good. I think we know that. He, we've seen it in the playoffs last year against the Thunder. Like we've seen him be really, really good. But there are some times when I really question: Is he efficient enough? Do you really want him to be your primary guy in the playoffs when, like, when it's really coming down to it? And I think he was getting like D Wade type buzz before the season started. And I think we can look back on that and say that was pretty overzealous. And I just wish I would have seen a little bit more improvement for him, especially with the way Conley's going right now. They were supposed to get matched up with OKC and I'm going to talk about OKC later. Like I would have taken OKC in that series for all the reasons I just said, kind of being eh about the jazz. And then I'll talk about my love for OKC later, but um, I would have, if the playoffs were to happen, if they do happen, I think I'll be fading the jazz, especially after the cold Corona thing. Yeah, I mean, Rudy definitely made some villains in the NBA circles after yep. he's kind of been the poster boy of the whole uh, incident. But my third has my third take. Um, I'm going to talk about the Miami Heat. Um, mm-hmm. I love the kind of vibe and aura that this team has. And um, adding a guy like Jimmy in the offseason, I think, just takes them to the next level. And you saw it last few postseasons, I believe, um, when they – when he went up against Philly, they were kind of just talent deprived and their system, you could tell it worked. And I think a reason why I love Miami and I love some of these teams like Miami and um, Denver when the time's right and stuff like that is because it kind of reminds me of Wisconsin basketball in the, in the way <laughs> where you can, you can put someone in there and you know, just because of the system, because of the coaching, because of the, because of the tradition and the values that, um, a guy's going to produce. So like a guy like Kendrick Nunn or um, 
Tyler Hero coming in, it, maybe they wouldn't be the same. Or, or Derek Jones, like they might not produce the same level um, on a team like the Knicks or a team that didn't have that foundation. So um, I think just the coaching and everything, I think that in a Eastern conference that had a lot of question marks um, with Philly, with Oladipo's health in Indiana, with um, how would, how would Siakam be able to fare as the number one in the playoffs mm-hmm. and things along those lines. I love the heat to make it out of the first round for sure. And maybe make a run all the way as, as deep as the Eastern Conference Finals, but um, I, I just think Jimmy takes him to the next level, and Bam has been playing out of his mind this season. And um, my favorite little fun fact is that Bam to Duncan Robinson is the number one passer to three-point shooter combo that's in awesome. the NBA in terms yeah, of three-point awesome. field goals made. So that doesn't happen by mistake. And um, there's something about this Heat team that I, I really gravitate towards. I mean, the Heat were my favorite team to watch all year, like by by a decent margin too. I love Spo. I think Pat Riley's the coolest dude in basketball. Like they throw a down. lot of alley oops. You ever notice that they throw I mean, a ton of oops? Bam it's is really I mean, exciting. You have Bam. You have Derek Jones. Like bringing Chris Silva off the bench. Yeah, like Tyler. I mean, they just and J- like I don't know. I, I like Jimmy is tough for me because I typically like I should I shouldn't like Jimmy because he's basically been a locker room quote-unquote locker room cancer in three different cities and just caused issues everywhere but there's something about him in yeah, Miami that I, I love like I love something in Miami something about Jimmy that's rare I think for the NBA is like when the lights get the brightest and the, the moment gets the biggest Jimmy's always there and always there. whether that that game seven against Toronto when uh, and Bede was kind of nowhere to be found, and Simmons was as as questionable as ever in the dunker um, spot. Simmons yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy spot. was there. Jimmy was there, and um, that kind of alpha mentality that has, I think, we're definitely going to see more of as these next couple episodes of Last Dance go on, and um, as everyone's watching all the old Kobe stuff, it's it's obviously not as good a player in Jimmy Butler, but. I think that's something that this team was missing where they had the system and they had the guys, but when you were down five with two minutes left, who's going to keep you in that game and who's going to hit the big shot? Was it going to be Kelly Olynyk? Probably not, but that's a shot that Jimmy has taken and has the confidence to say, Hey, give me the ball. I'm going to make this shot. Yeah. I mean, the heat, heat culture is awesome. I love Jimmy there. I know I'm not allowed to say this next year when I come to Wisconsin, but I love Tyler Hero. I think he's yeah. the swaggiest dude ever, and he play, he was playing really well for them as a rookie. Just, I mean, they were really, really damn good and a ton of fun to watch. I back that take 100%. All right, so what you got? My last take, I also went to the East, and this might be a common theme throughout this, pro- throughout this podcast. If you follow me on Twitter, this won't be a shock to you, but I said the Sixers get bounced early, and early yeah. probably first round. Um. I've been I tweeted something about Ben Simmons the other day just about him not being able to be Giannis light and I got a ton of I got probably like 15 Twitter accounts with Sixers in their handle mentioning me that I'm a hater and I'm this and I'm that but when it comes down to it if you just I mean if you look at the stats whether we're talking box score we're talking impact I mean Ben Simmons has basically plateaued since he came into the league and I and then I said he's basically kind of been the same player for better like for better, for worse, not really the word, but to some extent, he's the same guy. Um, and I had a Sixers fan saying he's gotten better at ball handling, he's gotten better on defense, and yeah, he's gotten a lot better on defense, but 
we all know the skill that's going to move the needle for him, and that's the jump shot. And until he starts shooting them, even just, let's start from shooting them, like Giannis, at some point it's going to be broken. The percentages are going to suck. But once you're shooting them, they have to go out there and respect you. If Simmons isn't even going to shoot them, I think I've looked through, I scrolled through like the videos of like his separating his heaves from his actual three pointers. And I think he's basically taken eight non heave attempts in three years. So like, I'm skeptical of Simmons. I'm skeptical of the Simmons and Embiid fit. And I just, this year, especially I thought getting rid of Jimmy and bringing in Horford was one of the worst offseason transactions that anyone made, just in terms of fit, what they need. We talked about it. I mean, you just mentioned it. Jimmy basically carried them to in that game seven. And if Kawhi doesn't get that crazy bounce, maybe Jeremy carries them in overtime. But if they don't have Jimmy in that game, they're nowhere to be found. And that was that's just undeniable. You can go back and watch it. And so without that go-to guy – Simmons and the Simmons and Embiid problems were bad this year. I think they were basically plus, I looked it up, they were like plus 1.5 together on the floor at the same time. When you take Horford off the court, because I got a lot of that in my mentions, look at when it's off, when it's Horford's off, because um, obviously that's not an ideal fit for either of them. They move up to plus 4.5, but again, still not as big of a gap as you would hope for your two centerpiece young stars. So I think but the majority of that lineup was with Horford. So if we're talking about those three playing together, they're with combined with their lack of guard depth. I mean, we're relying on Raul Neto and Trey Burke to create in the playoffs. I don't know. I just, I thought that team fit was really, really suspect. I thought they had problems all year. They couldn't find themselves. And I thought they were an easy candidate to get bounced early this year. Yeah. I, I, I know that we are planning on talking about the Sixers, so we might as well just, uh, get into it now because I think that a lot of how I feel about Philly in terms of especially on the offensive end and especially with the Al uh, with the uh, Al Horford acquisition in the offseason definitely a little questionable in terms of like fit and it, I often found myself trying to make excuses for them and come up with possibilities about Tobias Harris and um, things along those lines that were just not that fitting. And um, I think there was no better like indicator th- about the, the Sixers offense and everything, especially when, when this team was coming up and growing up over the last couple of years, it was, it wasn't necessarily the situation where a guy like Ben could clear out and, or even Embiid for that matter, and look for them down the stretch and get reliable, consistent production. And oftentimes they found themselves looking for J.J. Redick coming off screens and having him chuck up shots. And uh, he's an amazing shooter and won them a ton of games. But uh, a guy like Tobias Harris, who I think is better off the ball, and that's how they use him. He just spots up. as And for a guy that's making that much money um, – you're going to need more from him in terms of playmaking and creation and stuff like that. So I I think it's super interesting and it's super unique and nothing we've like, we've really ever seen before. Um, But I want to hear more about, because I, before I get into it, I want to hear if you have anything to say about Embiid, because I might have to take the side of some of your Simmons haters when we talk about uh, Embiid or Simmons. So here's my take on Simmons. Like, if my based on like my basketball philosophy, I probably shouldn't defend Embiid as much as I do because 
his most effective play is the post up and the post up is not nearly as efficient as someone who's going to pull up from three or be a primary shot creator, even like Gar Anthony Towns being an all time stretch five, but whatever, like aesthetical bias aside, Joe Embiid is a really, really, really good basketball player and that's on offense. But the point where I'm going to use him to defend most is on defense. Like all world rim protectors, just do so much more for your defense. Like Benson, we can both agree. Ben Simmons is incredible on defense. He can basically guard anyone on the court. He's in passing lanes. He's, he's lengthy. He's quick. He can, he can shut down your guards. He can switch on to your fours and fives. Like he's incredible. So I just pulled these numbers last night when I was doing the research, kind of comparing that Ben versus Joel thing. And their defensive rating when both of them are on the court is 107.2. So per 100 sessions, that's what they're giving up when Ben goes all when with Ben with Joel off. So Ben by himself without Joel is 109.7. And then Joel with Ben off is only 101.8. So basically mm. Joel Embiid is the centerpiece of your defense. And when he's off the court, they struggle no matter how good Ben Simmons is. So if we're taking this even beyond the offensive fit, which is obviously brutal with your best player being a post up, be your best player in Embiid with his primary usage in the post and then Simmons who when you don't really know where to stick him it's either short corner dunker spot like that's I mean that's one of the most horrible fits you could ever imagine so but offense aside why I've been defending Embiid so much is I just think he's such an impactful defender that I mean it's just so hard to get someone like that that trading him away to build around Ben while I also have my offensive concerns, I think their defense could suffer more than most are intimidating. Right. And when it comes to the, who would you rather have, who would you rather trade? If it was up to me, I wouldn't trade either of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, I think the ideal is that you don't have to, no one's forcing you to move any of them. And um, Mm -hmm. I I think that especially with the NFL draft and um, just has been, has had me thinking a lot about team building and, how you want to allocate resources and investing in positions and investing in guys is a huge thing in the NFL. And when it comes to the Sixers and how they built this roster, it, it, it's hard to see what the master plan is. And it's hard to see the, what the ideal version of this team looks like on the floor, on paper, you have a do it, everything, do it all character guy um, in Al Horford that can kind of, move around and play the five when Embiid's off the floor and he's a good passer and all that, all that fun stuff. But in reality, they weren't as good on defense as anyone thought they would be. And, and the reason why, if I had to pick one of them between Embiid and Simmons, I think I would pick Simmons. And this is the reason why, because not every day does a guy who's six ten can pass like he does, can move like he does. Those guys do not come around very often. And I think that, I think that for a guy who's his age, he's only 23, 23 yeah. and, and his best basketball is definitely ahead of him. And as, as well as Embiid, that's without a doubt. And <clears throat> especially with how late Embiid picked up the game, people think that he has a ton more ahead of him. And Embiid is a freak of a talent when it comes to the, the free throws, the free throw shooting, the rebounding, the defense and all that fun stuff. I just think, when you're looking at what will basketball look like in 10 years, it's almost impossible to predict. And if you have a guy at the size that Simmons has, the passing ability that Simmons has, the rebounding ability that Simmons has, and just being able to run him at 
positions one through five. And Bill Simmons talks about this all the time. And it's something, one of the best things that I love about Simmons is kind of like, especially on the defensive end, not really on the offensive end, but he's always there for that weird rebound, that weird loose ball that he's kind of just like a ball hawking, like force on defense that is more athletic than anyone else on the floor. And, and it's unfortunate that this is the offensive situation that he's in. And ideally he has a Giannis role and obviously he's not as dominant as Giannis is, but if you were able to put a guy like Eric Bledsoe next to him, um, or even like a, a, a scoring legitimate point guard, maybe a guy who's willing to stick to his role, like a Kemba Walker or something like that, where Simmons can run around on offense and uh, play more down towards the baseline and take advantage of his, of his ability on the inside. It, I think it changes the entire offense. But when you have Embiid staying in the paint, sucking all that up, and when when Simmons usually takes the ball up, it's like it's like – if he's starting at the three-point line, how deeper can he right. get towards the hoop? It's like I, I kind of wish he was running around and was catching the ball on the block and being able to dish to Embiid and kind of do some other things, but the roster's just not built like that. So yeah. in no, terms I, of athletic ability, yeah. yeah, like athletic ability, and and if I had to pick one to build my team around, I would say Simmons. Um, and, like, imagine if, if a guy like Zion – was drafted to a team that had a guy like Embiid. You would yeah. be able to talk about these Zion mm-hmm. at the five small ball lineups that would be able to play for 10, 15 minutes a game. Like you wouldn't be able to talk about it because there'd be a guy as good as Embiid on the team. And I think, like I said before, you don't want to, you don't want to trade Embiid for like a hall of draft picks. That, that's not how you're mm-hmm. going to win. You, if you could get a guy that fit next, fits next to Ben and you, be creative. I mean, you could get into it now, but I just, I just think Simmons is way too athletic and like a game changer when it comes to his style. Yeah, no, I mean, I I don't want to get it twisted. Like I love Simmons. Like I love, I mean, you just, it's impossible not to, we're talking about probably one of the best transition players in the league. It's not even like his ability to get it, go, go to the open floor so fast for a guy that's 6'10". I mean, he's incredible. Made strides finishing around the rim. That's definitely one area he's improved in a couple percentage points where I will give him that hundred percent. Um, one usage that look, and this is why I would just say, I think they do need to move one of them. I think I'm look, it, it sounds so stupid, right? You have two young stars and like what, you're just going to break them up. Cause everyone says to like, it, it makes no sense on the surface when you really think about it in the context of what the Sixers front office has been able to accomplish and the team that they put out there on the floor. This with this past season, I'd ar- this past offseason, I'd argue that they have no idea how to build around those two as their first two players, or they would have given Jimmy the five year max instead of Tobias and wouldn't have traded for Al Horford. Like those are just little moves that I don't really have any faith in them as a front office. But put that reasoning kind of aside. If we're just looking at the money and the allocation, okay, fine. Let's say we don't trade them. But it's clear that the team they have right now, I mean, I think we're both in agreement, that team is not winning a championship. The team with them two, Horford, Tobias on that big contract. And I just don't really see how, where they're getting that guy that moves the needle for them to take it to the next level. Like, okay, Horford, I'm, I can't, I'm kind of blanking on Horford's contract, but I feel like it's a pretty big one. I think That's, it's, I think it's a hundred for four, but I could be making that up. No, I mean, it's, I think it's a it's, lot. I think it's in that ballpark. So that gets if Sim if Horford's getting paid twenty five, and Tobias is getting paid. I mean that five for eighty contract is going to be one of the worst contracts in the league in a very short time. 
So yeah, Al, if, got, Al got four for 109. So Al gets four for 109. So basically that 26, 27 range. My, my point is those dudes, no one's, tra- no one's giving you a great piece back for Al or a great piece back for Tobias because we've, I mean, if we saw with Otto Porter, like when he got traded to the Bulls, Otto Porter's a good basketball player, but he's a negative impact with his money. And I think that's probably the same with Tobias and somewhat of the same with Al. Now, I think one could argue they're getting tranquilized and minimized by the other two in the system. Fine, I get it. But what are you really getting back for those guys that takes your team to the next level versus if you have these two absolute stud superstars that you can just say, okay, fuck it, we're going to just pick one and build around them, then I just think that's the more viable path than keeping them both, which I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I I think – the way that they built this team kind of reminds me of like myself when I used to write essays <laughs> for, for class. And I'm going to tell you why, because I would read a book in like seventh or eighth grade or whatever. And I'd have some good ideas and some good quotes and I'd throw them on there. And then I kind of just like put some fluff and some transitions and kind of hope that it worked. that my teacher knew what I was trying to say, because I couldn't really like, formulate it or come up with like a thesis that worked and that's Mm -hmm. how I feel about the Sixers because they have a guy like Simmons a guy like Embiid super talented super good quotes super good points that you're going to make about to kill a mockingbird but when it comes down to it the meat and potatoes of the essay and the meat and potatoes of the team it has to be good enough to 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 bring out the best in those guys and and if you look at the salary cap table, it's the 2019-2020 season right now. You go into the 2022-2023 season, they already have over $138 million of cap allocated. And yeah. to come to Elton Brand's defense for a second, it's incredibly hard. It's the hardest league in the world to find top top caliber players. Yep. And in in the NBA, there's – there's a ton of good players, but then there's that little group of guys that are better than the rest, and you need multiple of them to win a championship in today's NBA. And it's different than the last dance teams where you're building and you are you are got a ton of role guys. You maybe only need one guy like Isaiah Thomas or something like that to, to, to really build a championship team, mm-hmm. whereas nowadays, yeah, you do need to give a guy – you need to maybe have three max guys or you need to pay a, a lot of guys a lot of money. And – if they're willing to invest in a team, that's one way to do it. But I don't think that the final kind of image of what they have in mind for this team resonates so well with me. Yeah. No, I, and I, I get it. And I just, I, it's just tough. They're really, really, really tough. And I think I feel stronger about them moving, like moving one at, rather than keeping both than I do about, okay, keep and bead and ship Ben off. Because Ben is Ben is great, man. Like, he is. I'm not – I don't want to seem like I hate Ben. I like Ben. I just have my concerns with him, and I don't think he can be Giannis light. I don't. Um, yeah. If, if we're thinking about Giannis, and, I mean, Seth Part now dubs it heliocentric, the heliocentric basketball offense where it revolves around one guy, you hand him the rock, he rolls the ball out, and you have – role players who can make catch and shoot jumpers and attack closeouts and make decisions around them. And that, that works. Like you saw that with the bucks this year, obviously Chris Middleton is a step up from that, but guys like Dante DiVincenzo, 
George Hill, like they get elevated because Giannis is that good. Luka Doncic, those role players get elevated because you can just hand him the ball and say, let's rock. LeBron has been doing that for the past 12 years, other than when he had Kyrie and D Wade, when they took over a lot of secondary usage more than the typical guy, but that's the same basketball model that when those guys go off the court, the team doesn't know what to do because everything goes through them. And the thing that's in common with all those, the point I'm getting at is that those are all, those are great passers, Luca, LeBron, otherworldly passers. And I think Giannis is probably a better passer than people give him credit for, but they all are really, really, really good scorers that attract incredible amounts of defensive attention. And I just don't know if Ben is, will ever get to the point where he garners enough defensive attention with his scoring gravity to make the passing worthwhile. Right. I, yeah, and kind of like a one last point to make about the Sixers before we move on, and I think we're pretty much on the same page when it comes yeah, to the, yep. their overall team and the outlook and everything like that. Is is um, when I imagine the team without one of them, when I say I'm going to take away Embiid or I'm going to take away Simmons, I think that they lose more. And this is going to sound crazy because Embiid is the center of that offense and the center of that team. I think they like. I think if you take Embiid off that team and you can talk me into Al at the five to buy uh, Ben at the four to bias at the three, a point guard that could play, make and play defense and make threes. And then you got Josh Richardson, Cork Maz, like guys like that around them. Mm-hmm. I think you can convince me that that's a fun ball movement, heavy, good three point shooting and attacking the basket type of team. That's not necessarily and being weighed down by a guy like Embiid. But then you look at it on the other side is, without Embiid, is Tobias a good enough playmaker and a good enough creator on his own to to get looks without Embiid being in the middle and stuff like that. And Embiid takes a, a lot more threes than people think he should. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's a hot topic of convo. And you could also tell me that, like, hey, look what the Sixers did to the Bucks on Christmas Day. Like, yeah. like that's what the ideal version of this team looks like, what they're firing on all cylinders. So it's tough, but um, something really intrigues me about Ben Simmons and in, in 10 years when you're compared to Embiid in 10 years. Yeah. I'm, I want to make one last Simmons point before we move on to the Rockets who are extremely fascinating. Um, I want to see Simmons in the Draymond offensive role. At some right. Point. I I've been saying that for a while. I, I love him in like the, it was what Draymond was doing against the Blazers in the Western Conference Finals last year when he would catch it at like either the three-point line or a little below after the pick and roll. And then he was either attacking, creating, yep. and his shot, his shot wasn't on, but it didn't even matter because yep. he was so – I love that take. Yeah, Draymond – I mean, Draymond on the short roll is one of my favorite things to watch in basketball, and I think Simmons there would be just as fun and really, really, really damn good. All right, moving on to the Rockets, who I thought were the most fascinating team of – the entire league post deadline. Uh, I tweeted once they were the only team that could make me watch this year's Warriors because I actually did watch that game and watch the Warriors roll out Damian Lee and Eric Pascal and other dudes that you and I haven't even heard of. I like don't sleep on Spicy P. I, I like uh, <laughs> better than Siak. Uh, I like Spicy P better for Pascal. Than Pascal than Siak. Very Pascal than Siak. <laughs> but um, that's a t- that's a debate for a later time. So the Rockets post deadline, they ship off Capella, who 
I wasn't a huge fan of, and I think he did have some limitations for that team, but they don't require, they don't acquire another center back. They get my guy, Robert Covington, who I love, but they basically, they have no one taller than six, six PJ Tucker's their center. And I just, they go five out and I thought they were absolutely fascinating and so much fun to watch, but Daryl Morey doesn't get paid to put out a fun team. He gets paid to put out a good team who can win. So I want your thoughts on them. Intrigued. That was me watching the Rockets the whole season. And literally it was, whether it was in class or whether it was in the house or whether it was to people in restaurants, it was anyone who would listen to me talk about the Rockets. I was going to spew to them for a little about, you'll never believe this. PJ Tucker's playing the five, like it's crazy. And, and I think that I'm, I'm proud that a guy like D'Antoni who doesn't really have that long-term security as a coach is saying, Hey, I have a vision in mind of what a a maximum efficiency basketball team looks like. And I'm not going to wait around for the front office. I mean, obviously you can't do without the front office's participation and consent, but um, I, I think it's unlikely that unless they won the finals that D'Antoni would return next year as the coach. And, from all indications from the Fertitas and Maury, it was kind of like not wanting to commit to D'Antonio was kind of weird. I thought, I thought so when, yep. when, yeah. So when they made the move, it was like, might as well go all in on it and might as well push it to the limits. I think, I do think that this style can be sustained over the long season. And I think you need some depth at, you need another guy like PJ Tucker and you mm-hmm. kind of, you need, the whole roster to be built to play this kind of style. And I think it can work over the long term. And I think Covington is perfect for the offense. And if you could have guys produce like house and Macklemore and Gordon, if they can make their shots and, and be solid players next to a guy an all world offensive talent like Harden, I think it's really, really interesting. Now where I think they run into a wall is the best teams in the league that they're going to face have athletically dominant players who will make that offense struggle and yeah. will make the defense struggle as well. So the first guy that comes to mind is a guy like AD or a guy like Giannis, a guy who can run with the Rockets, but can also dominate them physically. It's, it's something that's rare, but I think it's what puts a ceiling on how much this team can really get to and produce in the end, because when it comes down to it, are they going to beat Giannis and the Bucks in the finals, a team that plays a very similar style, but just at a bigger size? It's hard to convince me that they're going to be able to do it, but um, it doesn't mean that I don't think that they can be great. Yeah, um, I, I think we're – I agree with you with a lot of what you said, and I'm, I'm in on them. I, I, lo- I want to see this for an entire season. I want to see what they do with the offseason, if they truly commit to this. And I want to see them in the playoffs. Like – I will go down in history. I think James Harden will forever be underrated. I think he's one of the best offensive players to ever touch a basketball court. And you can't put a price on that. Like, okay, space him out, let James rock. But what I really loved, and you're going to, you're going to laugh at this watching them since the trade deadline, I did a 180 on Russell Westbrook and I've been basically like a Russ hater. I'll even claim it hater, doubter, whatever skeptic for the past four or five years um he still robbed Harden of that MVP but with Russ and with the spacing Russ was unstoppable like he was literally unstoppable because 
there was no way to sag off of him because it was just five out. And when he just said, all right, I'm done taking threes. I'm getting everything at the rim. You can't stop me. There's way too much space. Like he was fun as hell to watch. And I think the best version of Russ is that one who's self-aware and isn't forcing threes and gets more on ball reps, can attack in space and can cut with all that open space. Like I, I really, really like them. I agree with you. The problem that they are going to run into is someone's just going to say, okay, you want to go small? We'll go small. And they could be better than them. Like the Clippers could have a better small ball lineup than them. If they go Kawhi, Paul George, Trez Harrell. uh, I mean, I'm blanking on who they could really roll out, but like Shamit, if he's healthy, like like, anyone you want, Lou Will, like that, that's a real Shamit, Lou Will, Shamit, Lou Will, two stars and Harrell, like, that's a really good small ball lineup too. So I don't think they're super crazy with the style. I mean, yes, they got out rebounded in some games and yes, Oh, big centers are going to post them up, but okay. They're fine with giving up those post-ups. I don't necessarily think the they run into the problem they run into is with the style. I just think someone could play their game, but better, but yeah, so I think, yeah, go ahead. I, I think that the perfect example is a team, a super team that will show up down the road is like, Oh, Here's the Warriors with they're just gonna play Draymond at the five. Yep. They're gonna have Steph and Clay. They're gonna have a top five pick in the draft and a sh- another shooter. Good luck. Good luck um, matching up with that because as good as Harden is and as good as Russ is, and by the way, I, I agree with your Russ point completely. I think that he was just starting to get into his form. He was just starting to feel like he fit in this offense and um, was really starting to choose his shots better and all that fun stuff but i agree i think that even like the the one of my favorite probably my favorite lineup of all time the hamptons five lineup is like Mm -hmm. they're just better than the rockets at what they do so i think that give them another year of buying all into this and maybe this is something that the rockets can benefit from this with the with the with the quarantine coronavirus and all that stuff if if there is no playoffs that are really serious and there, there's no playoffs that's going to expose a lot of deficiencies in their lineup maybe they can take an off season to go all in before the the spending spree of the 2021 summer so yeah um i i think it's all really really intriguing but um if they don't find the talent to fit their system i think the system has a ceiling i also i also i agree i think the system has a ceiling and i think the only way it's Look, I think it's sustainable over the course of regular season, but I think the only way they make it to the Western Conference Finals, make it back to the finals, is if they just do this way better than everyone else. And I think they can because they're the most they're one of, if not the most innovative front office and coaching staff in the entire league. They're the ones who said, All right, they're not the ones who said, let's just run small ball five, because the as you said, the Warriors have been doing that with the Hampton five. But they're the ones who said, All right, we're gonna start this and this is gonna be our primary lineup. And right. Maybe they're ahead of the are ahead of the curve, and maybe this is where basketball is going. We'll not, we won't know, but I think the only way for them to hit their ceiling, which I do, Dan or Daryl said this on Zach Lowe's podcast that we thought we're not here to be a five seed. We're not here to get bounced in the second round. This we thought that move get by getting Rocco and shifting out Capella gave gave us a higher ceiling than the team before, and we're looking to win a championship. And I agree with him. I think this team has a ceiling that the other one doesn't. But I think we're on the same page that that doesn't get achieved unless they make it not only their style, 
but they go all in like the Bucks did and said, okay, this is our, this is our style. This is our play, our pace. This is our culture. We need guys who are going to fit it at every single aspect. And I'm excited. I hope they do it because I really want to see it. Yeah. And I think that aggression from Maury is something I've always loved about him as a GM. And I love, um, yeah. And I think that, I think that his willingness to, to acknowledge that what he built before is not going to give his highest ceiling as what he can do with a single move or something like that. And I mean, I'm sure we're about to get into um, our sleeper teams and I'm sure this is going to come up, but a guy like Chris Paul, gives mm-hmm. one team one thing and gives another something else. And with his style play, his personality, his everything that he brings to a team, it it allowed the Rockets to get to the Western Conference Finals multiple times. And But if you trade him for a guy like Russ and you really focus on his strengths and how he works with Harden, it, it may be something where that terrible shooting performance comes earlier and they mm-hmm. lose in the – first round instead of the Western conference finals, but over the long term, And if you, if you extrapolate it over a couple of years, the, the peak is much higher. And I think that's the main point that Daryl makes. And the main point that both of us are trying to make. Yeah, no, I agree. I think we're on the same page that they're super fun. They have a ceiling and we both want to see him go all in. I'm look, I'm all for new styles of basketball. And especially with Daryl at the forefront, I want to see it happen. So you mentioned sleeper teams. I, who do you got? Uh, I have the Thunder. I'm yep. sure All you right, do so, too. So can we, let's collectively hype up the Thunder yeah, because I, I, they just jump off the page. They're awesome. I felt like that was going to happen. Um, I didn't even prepare a backup because <laughs> I was like, we're probably just going to spend 30 minutes talking about the Thunder. But um, no, I, I'll let you go first. Um, all right. So basically my love for the Thunder stems from their incredible lineup with the three guards that on paper, you would have no idea works. I would have, if someone showed me that lineup before the season, I would say, what the hell are the other guys doing when someone has the ball, but somehow it works. And it is not only fun to watch, it is extremely productive. Um, that lineup I'm talking about with CP3, Schroeder, Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Gallinari, and then with Steven Adams holding it down. Uh, I need to pull up the numbers on that. But basically, among there was a certain threshold I put that, got, that took out like outlier lineups, and they were by far the most effective lineup in the entire league. I think they were like plus 29 or something, like something absolutely nuts. I want to find it so I don't throw out something like way too crazy. All right. They were, oh, 177 minutes. So still a relatively small sample size, but plus 29.9. So basically outscoring their opponents by 30 points. Like they were just incredible. I love their guard depth. I was worried about their overall depth. If we're talking like real playoffs, like are we really trusting Terrence Ferguson and Darius Baisley to like give us positive minutes? But I was super in on that lineup. I think Gallinari was incredible. That was, in a couple of years, we're going to look back on that trade and yes, they lost Paul George, whatever. But the reality is they're probably going to lose him in free agency in, in two or three years whenever his deal was up. So to get a guy like Gallinari who can help you right now to go along with Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's one of my favorite long-term pieces in the NBA, plus the hall of picks that they have yet to use. I think Sam Presti hit the jackpot with that one. And 
they were awesome this year. We didn't know if they were going to tank. We didn't know if they're going to trade CP3, but I think CP3 was extremely underrated to go along with Gallo and SGA. Like they were just awesome. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the front office. I think that the position that Oklahoma city is in right now is extremely interesting. And it's, it's not unique because I feel like they're in a, similar position to what I thought Boston was in a couple of years ago where they had a ton of assets. Mm-hmm. They had the flexibility with the cap. They had the assets in the draft. They had the talent on the roster. And I have much more faith in Presti to carry out a plan and um, make sure he hits on everything as, a, as I did with a guy like Danny Ainge. I mean, obviously he's still one of the best GMs in the league. He's been doing it forever, but, but I think, this team has so much opportunity going forward and that kind of distracts everybody from what they're doing on the court right now. Yep, 100%. I, think, I think Chris Paul, obviously the contract is one thing and that's, that's, that's something that I think people have given him kind of a more negative connotation to who he is as a player and like what he's actually doing on the court. Like he, he may have a big contract, but he's still, He's still giving you 18 points a game and seven assists and kind of been the veteran anchor for that team. And Shea Gilgis plays their most minutes, scores their most points. And he's a guy that I know Bill Simmons loves. And I know that a ton of people around the league love. And it's just, I think so many pieces on that team are good. And you, you, you could often say like a, a revitalized Chris Paul or like a revitalized Danilo Gallinari mm-hmm. or a revitalized six man of the year, Dennis Schroeder. And like, that's not an accident. Like guys don't just become good because of like a flip of a coin. I think the way that this team plays together and they shoot a ton of free throws, they, they, they shoot a ton of free throws. They can make their threes. They can play you really any way they want to. Um, and obviously there's limitations when it comes to the talent, like you mentioned, I think like Ferguson and Lou Dort or whoever yeah. they want to throw out there. It's, yeah. it, it's, it is what's stopping them from being a true contender. And I think a step below of a team like the heat, but mm-hmm. I see them in a very similar way. And I'd mentioned before how much I like the heat. I am so excited to see how OKC plays their hand going forward because I mean, it starts with Shea Gilgis and, and Chris Paul playing one another, playing next to one another. And I mean, Chris Paul's been in the league for so long, and he's he's 34 years old. He's able to take a 21 year old under his under his wing, and and whether it's teaching him how to do it or just playing on the floor, it's 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 much more valuable than I think a lot of people um, can realize in like the the fandom world where everyone's just kind of used to putting a bunch of 21 year olds together on a 2k my league and seeing all of them develop at the same time and then adding a big free agent and the human aspect of it, I think is what makes OKC very, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, and they're awesome. You said it just that huge treasure chest of picks and the haul they got for the future. I mean, I remember I'll never forget JJ Reddick on Zach Lowe's podcast. They were predicting playoff teams and Zach was like, oh, Thunder, they might be out. And JJ was like, oh, we don't know their intentions. Like, that was kind of said. They have a talented roster, but no one knew. Are they going to sail the sh- Are they going to drive the tank and get another big pick and just cash mm-hmm. out on this future outlook? But right now, I think they're probably 
one of the front offices that gets the most sleep at night because they have they're competitive right now they're not tanking they have a great fan base they're selling tickets they're winning games but they didn't do that at the expense of anything of the future like they're still I, they're still here next year and they're probably here the year after. Yeah, the CP3 contract is only going to get worse as he gets older and the money gets more and his production goes down. But it's like they're still going to have him. They're still going to have SGA. I'm not, I think Gallinari still has a couple years left. I, I don't think he's a free agent this year. So I think, yeah, at I, was, least... I, was, I was just looking at the contract table. Um, Gallinari is done after this year. Oh, he but, is done after this year. Yeah, he's done oh, after wow. this year. But Schroeder's on contract, Steven Adams, Chris Paul, SGA. Yeah. Um, they're, they're losing Gallinari and Roberson and Noel. But besides yeah. that, they're bringing back all the, all the young guys. And um, it's really exciting. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. So, even if they don't have Gallinari. So, if they don't bring back, back, back Gallinari, obviously my excitement will be tampered a little bit for next year. But – Still, that's still the core of CP3. SGA is only going to get better. And I really believe in him down the stretch to be one of the league's best players or best point guards, I should say. Um, and then Dennis Schroeder's a spark. Like that dude finally found his role and is playing really, really well for them. And yeah, is he the starter that he was in Atlanta a couple of years ago when they went on their playoff runs? No, but he's excelling in his role and he's doing really, really good for them. So I like those three just to be there next year and with the draft picks they have in the future, with the offseason they could have, and we'll see what they get in the draft. Like, I'm intrigued for them. But in the playoffs right now, I thought they were going to make a push because I really loved the team they had this year. Yeah, and, and Daryl Morey would be the first to tell you that Chris Paul is not a shell of himself. He's not – He's not in, even though he's the one that traded him, he's not some scrub who's on a – extremely rich contract that isn't going to give you anything and you're considering buying out. He's mm-hmm. not one of those guys. He's still a top point guard in this league and his play this year is showing that. Now, I think it's it's commendable to see him taking this vet role with with other guys on the roster who aren't necessarily have that that whether it's the footing in the league or anything like that, but the mix of vets and rook and rookies and young guys and uh, a guy like Steven Adams, who's been around the franchise for a while and continuity in the front office, continuity with coaching. It's, it's teams like the thunder that show you that that stuff actually matters. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we'll talk about the Knicks I'm sure later and I'm so done with them, but um, (laughs) it's like, all that anyone talks about is culture and all that anyone talks about is getting the right guys in there. And that doesn't happen without winning, but at the same time, winning doesn't happen without the right guys. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a little chicken in the egg kind of thing, but um, it's, it's really showing that you can produce in a league as tough as the NBA, you can produce more wins with on paper, not as good a roster, but it's, it's talent plus culture is, is a real thing. Yeah, no, that's real. And the Thunder showed us that. The Heat showed us that. I mean, there's endless examples. So we're both on the same page at the Thunder. We are going to get to the Knicks later, and I assume that could take up a decent chunk of time. So if you're cool to move on from the playoffs, I'm Yeah, I'm good. good. All right, so obviously Sam and I have both been watching The Last Dance, and so we figured we're going to do a little starting five. Or we're going to alternate a draft picks, and basically – we tried to keep this as broad as possible. So it can be either a moment, a theme, a quote, a cameo, whatever your five favorite 
anything to do with the last dance as your starting five. So you want the first pick? I'll take the first pick. And I wasn't really thinking of it when I was coming up with my five in terms of an order, but if we're going to draft, I'm definitely going to be specific. So with my first overall pick, I'll do the Rodman 48 hour hiatus. I think it is, it is, it might be the highlight of the show so far. Um, It's something that seems like people who were alive back then and people who follow the NBA religiously kind of know a lot of what's happened, but the way that it was covered here, like to some might seem simple, but to me and to a lot of people who might not remember it or something like that, just like, him coming out drinking a beer hopping on a hopping on a motorcycle and <laughs> Rodman and his place in NBA history is very debated and very and his talent and what he meant to the team and when he went to San Antonio why wasn't he the same kind of guy it's all very debatable but what you can't debate is the is the how funny it was to just see him go out to Vegas for I mean it ended up being longer than 40 hours but yep. Carmen Electra and all the stars and the party scene. And this is not just like on the off season. This is mid season. I mean, that was the and best part to me in, in the middle of the season, a, a guy with dyed hair, just the most, one of the most recognizable guys in sports, just going on Ve- like going to Vegas. It was inc- it was, I loved it. It was, it was, this is perfect. This is the NBA in the nineties. This yep. is, this is Phil at his finest. It's, it was, I was just smiling the whole time. Yeah, that was awesome. All right, so with the second overall pick, my first pick, I have to go with my favorite quote of the document so far. When they're talking to Scotty before the 98 season and he ends up opting to push his surgery because he's mad at the front office and his explanation for it was, I'm not going to fuck my summer up. And I just thought that was just so classic. So, I mean, I don't want to say so Scotty, but so it just like – it was the epitome of the relationship between the front office and basically everyone on that team that yeah. they were just like, fuck it. I'm not going to do anything to ruin my individual summer. I'm going to go out there and have a good time. And Jerry is going to have to deal with this when I get back. Now, was it probably a little bit selfish to Michael and Phil and all the guys that he suits up with every day? Probably. But I just thought that was such an iconic, funny quote that kind of just summed everything up and he had no shame in saying it so i loved it i thought that was super funny and my second pick is actually gonna piggyback off of that and um just like i have the kraus pippin beef as as i I just jerry kraus definitely in the first two episodes was definitely the villain of the of the documentary and i think it's well deserved for a couple reasons and a little too much for some more but I thought the the way that Pippin truly did not respect and the way that Michael truly did not respect the guys in their front office and they were still able to put all that behind them. And we were talking about culture and we were talking about culture versus talent with the Thunder. If you look at a situation where every time they see Jerry, every time they're on the bus, you have Pippin yelling over the bus and that made for some very funny Twitter memes and Twitter posts and everything like that. But like the fact that those guys were able to put that down and put it off to the side and able to run out there and act like nothing was going on behind the scenes was incredible to me. And Scotty is a guy who felt like he was mistreated by, by Kraus and whether that was justified or not is a different discussion. But I thought the way that they just 
actually did not respect each other and actually did not like each other um, made for a super interesting and super intriguing watch. And um, just me imagining like every time that Krauss walked past Pippin, them just like making a side comment or talking about how short he was or something like that. It was just like, I can't believe that happened. I mean, Jordan, every time there's, I think there was two clips in the documentary itself, like before they're about to go get the rings. He, Jerry, you want to come shoot some layups with us? Oh, we'd have to lower the hoop. Like yeah. how, how many times, how many different ways is he going to tell him we're taller than you? I mean, it just, that was crazy. I agree with that. The Kraus beef that just was normal for them was crazy. Crazy. Um, all right. So with my second pick, I am going to go with, hold on, let me find this. All right. I'm going to go with in the first episode when they tell Jordan what's called the Bulls and his reaction to when they call the Bulls before he got there, the Bulls traveling cocaine circus. And yeah. he just completely laughs about it and does not speak a word to deny it. Yeah. I, the, the hotel room story was, while it was so 80s NBA and it was so like that era and you could look at the old Mets teams and you can look at old every professional sports team during that era. It was kind of like MJ is different and MJ went there and kind of didn't really fit with that. And mm-hmm. he was good enough to stand out and be okay standing out living on his own. And that kind of version of MJ often is forgotten about where he's, in that the room in Chicago where he's kind of just like making food and chilling by himself is like the harsh reality for like what life is like for a lot of NBA players and Mm -hmm. even guys today, like who kind of just chill out and who are under 21 and kind of don't be in the public spotlight. It was like that version of MJ was so cool. Yeah. I mean, he's a human 20 year old and yeah, that was super funny. And the fact that he just straight up didn't deny it and then told stories about that. I mean, I thought that was so funny. And just an incredible look into like what basketball was like and what yeah, teams and, were like. Yeah, my next pick, I guess, is going to be one of my f- favorite quotes so far, and kind of goes off this young MJ thing. It bounces off the Roy Williams quote when he says that MJ had a switch yeah, and he never yeah, freaking turned it off. I yep. was like, wow, with, with like the Southern draw, I was like ready to run through a wall. <laughs> but the 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 montage of there's some good montages in there. And one of them would be the, the game against the Celtics um, when he just goes off for 63 and mm-hmm. that whole game. But I think my other favorite one had to have been the MJ time at UNC. That's yeah. going to be my next pick. I think just from watching a ton of college basketball in person and seeing kind of what it's like and um, how athletic certain guys are, the highlights that they were showing of MJ were utterly ridiculous the the athleticism the big shot making the the charisma all of that from unc was just you could tell right there that this guy was otherworldly and i had never really watched a ton of mj unc it was more so all with the bulls and i was like this guy is incredible for the town he's going up against the college yeah and i i know exactly what roy quote you're talking about and it was awesome when i when i saw it live and thinking about it now yeah roy is awesome like that and the accent made it awesome that was that was incredible i that was on my list so you took that from me i'm not gonna for steal the draft yeah (laughs) um 
all right, so what is, this is my yeah my third pick um, from episode three. I think it was episode three. Yeah, um, definitely the most recent doubleheader. It's when they're talking about the game against the Cavs and Jordan takes the ball out. Yeah. And they interview Harp. And even Jordan says, he says, oh, they made a mistake putting Craig Elo on me. Harp was, I was, Harp was way tougher on me. Like, if we're being realistic, Jordan double-clutched and hit an incredible shot that would have gone in against anyone. But just the candidness from Harp when they ask him about it and he, and he – replays the story when their coach says like on which who what the coach's name that Cavs team was when they say oh we're putting Craig on Jordan Harp goes oh yeah okay fuck this bullshit just straight on camera no remorse no anything and it makes it even better that he goes and then joins the Bulls and wins a couple champ wins championships with them but I just candidness about that just the pure he was dead honest remembered it clearly that was awesome to me and and I feel like no, every moment of the doc kind of brings out like a a dark side of Twitter that I didn't know existed, and the <laughs> the, the Craig Elo career truthers um, that have that have emerged after the hate in the documentary, where oh he had this long NBA career and he had an incredible he did have an incredible game, and and just that kind of anger towards like the hate of Craig Elo has always been very funny to me. Um, and like that angle of it, but yeah, that was it, it, the candidness throughout the whole thing has been my favorite part. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think any person on the planet was stopping that Jordan shot. He could have, if, if it was a longer arm guy, he would have, he would have clutched three times instead of twice and it still would have gone in. It was yeah. one of those moments in NBA history where it was like, nothing was stopping that. Yeah. All right. To your fourth pick. All right. Um, with my fourth, I'll go with the with the MJ Isaiah um, beef. Second that steal. Second. It kind of lingered uh, on. It kind of lingered on to get up the next morning, and and it was shocking to see. It was like you knew in the moment, and you knew with the dream team, and you knew with all that that the Isaiah MJ hatred slash competitiveness was very real. But to see it 30 years down the road where MJ – and I don't know if it's a grudge or if it's just that he feels so strongly about it. And to, the fact that it's such a highly debated topic even today and both guys aren't necessarily willing to back down. I mean, you have other Pistons teammates saying, like, sticking up for it and everything. And Isaiah being a part of the media now and – being one of the most scrutinized superstars of all time, he obviously has something to say about it. But MJ, they show MJ the iPad, and he's just like, yeah. uh, "Like, don't even get me started." Yeah, I have, I have the direct quote. The direct quote from him: "It's, it's you can show me anything you want. There's no way you can convince me he wasn't an asshole." Like yeah, 30, thirty years, thirty, 30 years, years down later. the road, crazy. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I definitely had that one. The pure hatred. It's so real. Uh, it, that was. It's like it's like it's one of those things where it's like, who cares? But at the same time, like, how do you not care? Yeah, it's it's incredible. One of the best, one of my favorite, most debated moments in NBA history. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna go my fourth pick. All right. Since that one was you stole that one from me. Um, I'll go. Oh, I'll go with 
the the raw footage of them showing Phil Jackson coaching in Puerto Rico. And there's there's your first steal of mine. Uh, <laughs> nice job. So the footage of him coaching in Puerto Rico is awesome, first of all, with the commentary and everything. And he's telling you about the rivalries within the little cities It's and how they love their basketball down there. And then it reaches its peak when he goes, yeah, the mayor of one of our away games shot someone on the court. And not only did he not go to jail, not only did he not get arrested, his punishment was he was banned from only going to home games, only home games. Yeah, it was amazing. (laughs) Yeah, that that was – I think that one was not getting nearly enough love on Twitter and enough buzz because that was some of my – like that five-minute segment was one of my favorite five minutes of the entire series so far. Yeah, he was like, yeah, he shot a ref, but like it was in the legs or like something (laughs) – it was was a ridiculous line. the and I'll I guess piggyback on that. That was going to be my fifth, but I'll just say a moment that I was intrigued by. And Phil Jackson is has always been one of my most um, one of my favorite people in basketball until like the whole Knicks thing is whatever. And right, he did a lot of he really messed up the franchise and made a lot of questionable decisions. But as a coach, kind of just the willingness to be his own spirit and the willingness to kind of be his own man. And just the success he's had in the league is so hard to dispute. So I'd say my fifth and final pick would be last dance. It's the overall kind of way he approached the season. I commend yeah, that was, so, that was so much. And, and, He's like, yeah, I know I'm not gonna be back because me and Jerry aren't friends, and and you know what? I'm gonna call it the last dance. We're gonna win a sh- win a championship, and that yeah. just is something that r- wouldn't really happen today, I don't think. And and pointing to a specific moment, I guess, for this draft, I would say his kind of impact on the team would be illustrated when they're out on the yoga mats on the court in a circle. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was like, a guy to get to get these 30-year-old professionals to buy in is like to be a leader of men is like the hardest thing to do in professional sports. And and me and my friends always say like Mike Tomlin, leader of men, like like all these guys in sports who are great known as great coaches because they can communicate to these guys who have never really had to be a role player or never really had to be someone's number two and for Phil to do it and win that many championships. I think I thought that moment with the yoga mats was just like a perfect snapshot of like, he can get Michael Jordan to take his shoes off on the basketball court and do yoga and listen to me talk about my upbringing next to a native American tribe. I was like, yeah, that's Phil. Phil is awesome. And I think Phil definitely, recency bias for some people Knicks fans especially might hinder his legacy right now but he is definitely one of the biggest winners from this whole last dance thing and I probably underrated him just knowing all the personalities he had to deal with and what how great and historical the end product was I I think it's amazing to see so with my last pick I'll go with this might be a little bit of a reach but I'm gonna go for it so a little 30 second cameo from Pat Riley in night one. Mm-hmm. And he is just dripping off the screen. We see all these like baggy suits and 
things from the 90s and then they just pan to Pat Riley who literally looks like he's 40 with like his three rings on one hand all white just so so cool and that's my Twitter header picture now like I just thought he had nothing to do with it but I was just like oh my god this is why I love the heat this is why I love Pat Riley and he was just so damn cool I was like watching the MJ doc and then I was watching Narcos and it happened within a within like a <laughs> within a two minute span. It was it was incredible. It, yeah. He him, the the Obama former Chicago resident. That was thing. that was my honorable mention one. The Obama former Chicago resident. Yeah. It was all the the interviews I thought were great. Not like you can interview anybody who's in the public who's in the public eye or anybody who was just a basketball fan in the nineties and they could tell you all about Jordan, how much they loved him. But I love the kind of individual perspectives that the, of the people they chose to interview. Yep. Yep. It was awesome. Um, I think I'm loving the last dance. It's not as good as live basketball, but pretty damn close that every Sunday night, everyone's looking forward to it. Everyone's hyped. And I can't wait that I'm so excited that we have three more Sundays like that. Yeah. And, and I think these next couple episodes I've heard are really good, um, but I can imagine just we've kind of built our foundation. We know yep. about MJ's past. We know about what his future is supposed to look like, what he thinks it's going to look like. And I'm ready for like controversial MJ moments, whether mm-hmm. it's the gambling, whether it's baseball or the the run of championships or coming back midseason. Like I'm ready. I'm ready for the for the MJ controversy yeah i'm all in on that um are you ready to talk draft i'm ready all right so we got a couple of categories here just maybe some we think is overrated some we think is underrated and then the knicks fit and then which will eventually lead to some knicks talk some front office scrutiny bashing whatever you want to call it so starting off with someone who think is underrated who you got yeah so a lot of my a lot of my um choices for these players i as much as i love college basketball it it sucks that we didn't have the tournament this year because that's when i really get to like i didn't watch so much obi Obi Toppin, and i didn't watch so much of these guys who were outside of the big 10 specifically or not necessarily on national tv a lot and Mm -hmm. um so i'm gonna go if we're starting with underrated um i'm gonna start with the if we're gonna talk big 10 i'm gonna start with cassius winston um a guy like Cassius is he's not as short as a guy like Carson Edwards coming out. And he has that experience in the, what I think is the best basketball league in the, in the nation. And um, the the way that he leads that team and when you watch him and he, the way that the whole offense kind of revolves around him and the shot making and creating for others is, is a guy, he's not really a developmental future all league guy but if you put him on a team like like a philly or like a team where they could just use a guy who could come in and be trusted to deliver for his teammates and make points and score hoops it's it's a guy who i think is being slept on as a little underrated yeah i mean i've watched like three michigan state games in the past two days um been watching a lot of them lately cassius and tillman and cassius is awesome um he's a better shot maker than even the numbers can suggest some of the difficult like the fading shots watching him snake through pick and rolls he's a really really good passer i'm a big cassius fan so i like that pick for sure 
Um, I'll go for my first underrated guy. I can't speak it enough. I'm going to go Kyra Lewis. Um, I've been saying, I've been preaching him, singing his praise since Thanksgiving. Um, just the combo guard out of Alabama. He plays a lot of primary there, but I like him to play off the ball too in the NBA. He's a really good catch and shoot shooter. And the main thing that just pops off the page with him is the speed, like him accelerating end to end in the open court, his first step, like the pop in the half court gets the get gets to the rim at ease doesn't finish as good as I'd liked him to but his flash in between game he has a pull up he really improved as a passer lab dribble whips with left and right hands um just the whole package I saw him mocked in the lottery for the first time today he's usually like he it seems like every mock is obligated to have him 23 to the heat um I have him at six so that's pretty big drastic change um so I'm all in on Kyrie Lewis I want the Knicks to get him somehow some way probably unlikely given our picks but I think he'd be awesome there and I think he's going to be a steal for someone yeah he's a guy who I don't know as much as you about him or as watch as much as you have but a coach that I like in this first year at Bama Nate Oates yeah, and Oates is awesome. he's super fast and he's able to I think I don't want to compare him to just someone who else who's fast like De'Aaron Fox or anything but he's definitely a guy who I think is going to make an impact in the NBA. And I agree with everything that you said. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. You have another guy that's overrated, right? Or underrated, um, underrated, underrated. Underrated. Yeah. And are we going to get into, what are we going to do? Sleepers, um, underrated. I have a couple guys on my list as guys who I think are being slept on. Um Okay, so my next underrated is also a guy being slept on. So we yeah. can we can do that if you want, or if you want to do your underrated and and your sleeper, you can just bang them out. Right all there. right, I got a couple guys on my list, and you know what? I'm just gonna say all of them. All right, so let's hear it. Cole Anthony is my first one, and I think that he's a guy that, especially in the NBA, as you dig deep into scouting, you kind of can see that NBA front offices and they don't just look at what you did at one season at North Carolina. They'll look at when he had other good talent around him and all these showcases and um, just the, the NBA lineage and the physical tools and the, the ability um, it's, he's getting a lot of hate for not having that good of a season at UNC when you watch him and his physical traits by himself. And when he plays next to better guys, I just, I don't think he's being extremely overrated, uh, extremely underrated because he's still in a lot of top tens and he's still definitely in the lottery in a lot of places. But um, from what he's fallen from like the top three range, um, I think he's definitely going to go higher than people expect. Um, Another person that I love and I had the ability to see in person last season um, when he was a year younger is Sadiq Bey out of Villanova. Um, I think he fits right into the NBA, right as a three and D kind of guy. I think he's a great athlete coming from a great program. And when you're coming from a program like that. He's a guy that's going to fit in any locker room. And um, I think his best basketball is also ahead of him. Yeah. Um, and then my last guy, Go ahead. Uh, one more, one more. Go um, ahead. A guy I saw this year play at Wisconsin and absolutely dominated was the best player on the floor. And his play mid season, I saw him as high as the top five in drafts. And I've recently been seeing him in the beginning of the second round. And that's Daniel Oturu out of Minnesota. I, I think that a lot of people have bad things to say about him because he might be a little short for the kind of basketball that he plays. And he might be, he might be um, 
kind of at his ceiling in terms of his production and stuff like that. But when you can physically dominate as good a rebounding and defensive team as Wisconsin and get to the free throw line that many times and just be the best, the best player on the floor. I was so impressed by, by just kind of the way that the game gravitated around him on both ends of the floor. It was every time the ball was, every time the ball was uh, in Wisconsin's possession, it was where's Oturu on defense. And every time it was on Minnesota's possession, it was how are we going to stop Oturu? He's just giving us so many problems. So I know I probably need to watch more to get a full, what do I think this guy's going to be at the next level? But I think he's just being underrated. Seeing him in the second round was just crazy to me. So um, Cassius, Cole Anthony, Sadiq Bey, Oturu, some of my some of my favorite guys that I've been able to watch a lot of. And um, hopefully if, if there's a, a solid date for the NBA draft that comes out soon. I'll be able to kind of get back into watching some more tape from your site and reading what you got to say and stuff like that. So I'll let you kind of take over with a lot of the draft stuff. <laughs> um, appreciate that. I know that was a little long winded, but no, no, um, we, some of the I guys love that it. I like. I love it. Um, I'm fully in on your Cole Anthony take. I think I've seen him outside the lottery way too many times, and I think it's just a poor evaluation. He was one of the most dominant EYBL players in the AAU circuit I've ever seen. Um, probably right up there with like Kate Cunningham, Michael Porter Jr., just absolutely dominated. Um, the team context at UNC was just downright awful. Like they were starting two bigs at all times. Someone who was a good slasher at all levels before, watching with Team USA and the U18 games, United or whatever. I think it was U18. U18, he's getting to the rim at will. I'm, he's a shot. I trust the shot making. I still have my top five, and I think people are being way too harsh on him. Um, a little less optimistic on Otoru, but that's just me. I don't really like bigs like that so that's i'm shouldn't really shouldn't really take that too personally all right. it's um, all right the uh the hate will just he'll be more slept on maybe he'll fall <laughs> to someone in the second round that can be right yeah so um a little less optimistic about a toro but definitely your other picks i'm all in on so my underrated guy also very slept on he's picking up some buzz now but it's just it's a little too late in my opinion desmond bain from tcu um he's a four-year player from tcu so again not really doesn't really scream draft prospect right off the bat but if we're just talking about an elite shooter he's shooting about 43 percent on over 500 attempts from three over his career mechanics are kind of wonky so people don't really buy that but at some point you just have to trust the sample um made an incredible stride as a playmaker some of the passes i've clipped on my twitter i put him in my article just hooking just driving down the right right lane hooking to the left corner reading help making multiple pick and roll multiple pick and roll reads in consecutive possessions leveraging his scoring gravity um i just think He's kind of – he's not a sure thing because no one in the draft is a sure thing, but he's as close as there is to it as someone that's just going to come off the bench and sure up your wing rotation to help you in the playoffs. Um, he's a really strong guy. Doesn't get to the free throw line as much as I'd like um, because he doesn't he, – he lacks some burst, doesn't have great pop or really good handle. So he kind of struggles getting to the rim and drawing fouls. But a great jump shooter, someone who can hold his own on the defensive end. He's smart, making interior rotations. And I just think he's super, super underrated. If the Knicks snagged him, snagged him with the Clippers pick, I'd be ecstatic. He's one of those guys that um, he could go to the – I mean, I, I hate to talk about the Knicks, but he could go to a team like Portland and you could see him producing in a playoff series. Mm-hmm. But he could also go to Orlando and you could never see him on the court. So I think it's a great scheme fit kind of player. 
Yeah, I I definitely agree, and I think he could contribute for in the playoffs in his, as a rookie. Um, and then I have one guy who's overrated. This might shock you a little bit, but I've seen him top three on some boards, top five on some boards, and I just think it's a little too far. And that's Tyrese Halliburton. Um, mm-hmm. I love Halliburton. Don't get it wrong. Don't get me wrong. I love watching him play basketball. He's a borderline genius. Watching him manipulate defense with his eyes is incredible. But at the end of the day, again, we're drafting for production and ceiling, not a fun factor. And we're talking about a six-five. I think he might be 175 pounds, but rail thin, gets bumped off the ball all the time with a very poor handle. So I don't think he's going to be a lead guard. I think he was a lead guard this year, but again, was better with smaller secondary creators who can really create shots around him. Now, again, can you see that kind of fit at the NBA? Maybe, but it's really tough for me to get behind drafting someone who is rail thin and is likely going to get bumped off the ball probably is going to get burned at the point of attack on defense and because of his strength his team defense might get hindered he's not going to be able to switch on and be in the passing lanes as much as he was in college just because he's so rail thin the jump shot I actually buy it I think people are skeptical on it because of those mechanics which are really really weird it's a set shot it's push shot whatever you want to call it um but he is legit range and he's been one of the best catch and shooters in the whole in all of NCAA for the past two years so that's what I really buy um, I buy him as an off-ball player but I don't know how much of the passing really translates if he's not going to break down defenses get into the lane he really can't finish around the rim super contact averse with that slender frame um, I just think people have gone way too high on him and I want to pump the brakes a little bit yeah and and I think it's it's weird to say that a guy benefited from there not being a tournament and a guy benefited from college basketball kind of ending, but I think that his stock in general was kind of getting a lot of love uh, as the season came to an end and as conference tournament play was approaching. Um, I think he's a guy that Iowa State was not a very good team this year. No. Um, and not playing in the tournament I think would have hurt his stock and kind of put everyone back to planet earth on how they feel about him. So I agree with that take. And I think that if now what's going to happen with the pre-draft process in terms of a combine or in terms of interviews and how all that's going to work is going to be super interesting. But yep. um, he's, I, I think he's, it's interesting because as much as we thought that there was going to be so much, and there was in the later rounds, but as much as we thought that there was going to be uh kind of that random factor to the NFL draft. I think in the NBA draft, which already has a lot of that random factor, especially with a bunch of the guys from abroad and stuff like that. I think this year it's just going to be multiplied by 10 in terms of a guy can go anywhere and Mm -hmm. super unpredictable, super exciting. I mean, uh, let's hope it goes off uh, and happens soon, but let's hope there's a playoffs for the NBA and everything like that. But I think it's going to be super unpredictable when we get to whenever the draft is. Yeah. And I, and I agree. And I think teams Intel is going to be super independent of another, like there's not going to be that combine where they can all see and group think on the measurements and the testing and all that. It's just film. It's you and your execs and your scouts grinding the film. And what do you think of this guy and how does he translate? So I'm super intrigued. I think there's going to be some steals. I think there's going to be some reaches and we'll be able to see who really does their homework. So I'm excited before we wrap it up and before we wrap up the draft and the whole podcast, we're both diehard Knicks fans and the Knicks should have a high, should have a high pick unless we get completely screwed by the ping pong balls. Who is at the top of your Knicks board? Uh, I mean, 
I want the Knicks to draft LaMelo Ball. Yep. Um, I'm with you. I am very close to saying that I give up on the team. Um, it's sad, but I was really kind of – I wasn't necessarily hopeful that they would, like, make a playoff run or anything this year, but but I – I think that the Knicks are so far away from being a competitive franchise that, yeah, we could get one of these developmental guys. And, um, and if we're drafting a guy in the three to five range, he might, he might have a lot of upside and he might not be the biggest name or personality or anything like that. But in terms of what I want, I think that the team needs some kind of spark and even though he's, I don't think he's going to be as good as a guy like Luca. And I don't think they're on the same level. If, if the Knicks could just have someone on the team that can score and can give this city some kind of excitement towards the team, it would just be so, it would go so far past the play on the court. And with Leon Rose and the new, the new management looking to, bring basketball back to New York as, as everyone has been trying to do for the past 20 years, I think that I'm all in on LaMelo ball and mm-hmm. it, he might not be, he might not have the best NBA career out of anyone, any, everyone in this draft. He could, but I, I'm, I need them to make a splash. And I think that he's the best player to do that. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree with you on LaMelo and I agree with you on the rationale. It's just, for years, we've seen now the Knicks tried to cheat team building. They try to cheat, cheat building a roster, whether it's chasing stars in free agency, whether it's making a blockbuster trade. Like, no, trading for Donovan Mitchell and giving up your future assets that might make you move the needle is not going to make you a contender. Like, the Knicks just fail to realize that they have to build a team from the ground up, and that starts with drafting, and that starts with signing good guys for good deals and free agency. And you can't cheat that. It's the NBA. You just can't cheat this. But with RJ Barrett, I think you have a decent NBA player. Like he's not going to be a bust, but he is not, he's not the second coming of anyone. He's not this guy that's going to carry your team or move the needle. The Knicks need someone who can move the needle. They need someone who can make a splash. And that's LaMelo ball. He's the guy with the highest ceiling in this class. He's the one where you can roll the ball out and say, go play offense and just give him the rock. He's one of the best passers I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, if you watch a game of his, he'll makes like three or four wow passes a game where you're like, Oh my God, let me, let me rewind that back and see how he even found that. Like he's not number one on my board as an overall prospect, but for the Knicks, for the Knicks, like I think it's a no brainer. That's who they need to get for reasons, basketball related and not basketball related. Yeah. And, and I think the the element of like Lavar that was attached to Lonzo coming out. I think that's like definitely a factor. But I think when like Lonzo was coming out, it was something that a lot of teams were scared of, was, like the Lavar factor and like all the publicity and stuff like that. But I think that the Knicks are a kind of team that will take any kind of publicity because you even look at a team like the Warriors who are having a I think a worse season than the Knicks in terms of win loss, yeah. but just because of Steph and because of the big names and Steve Kerr and 
Draymond. They were still kind of getting that love, and they were one of the worst teams in the NBA, but they would play on national TV, and everyone would just applaud their culture and <laughs> applaud their team. And I was watching the games, and I was like, this team is terrible, but they're still in the right kind of public thinking. And if the Knicks made a move like getting LaMelo Ball, it would it would do so much more for fans and the team than like a guy who would maybe produce even a little bit more with maybe some a little bit of better play. I I just think that there's the unteachable, unquantifiable thing that a lot of fan a lot of like front offices that were like very analytically based are trying to avoid. I think that it's actually a positive of the Leon Rose and the mm-hmm. marketing gurus that are running the Knicks nowadays <laughs> is that they understand that that to be successful in the NBA and coming from the agent side to be successful in the NBA has a lot more to do with off the court and kind of the mentality than people believe. Obviously it's not as important as what goes on on the floor and LaMelo is a great player before he is a exciting guy, which mm-hmm. is why it's still my favorite guy to draft. So um, that's how I feel about LaMelo. I, I hope it goes well. Yeah. Um, we can only hope who knows where the lottery will be, who knows in the draft will be a lot of unknowns, but at least we can hope the Knicks are doing their homework and they know what they need to do for this draft. Um, do you have any other final takes? I, I got everything out. I, everything that I had prepared, I got out. Um, I, I feel like if, if basketball is going to come back, I'm excited for the buildup and like the excitement mm-hmm. leading up to it as much as I am for the play itself, just because I, I, it's like my own kind of version of spring training. It's like I've been away from live sports for so long that like I wouldn't even know what to do with myself if like every sports league came back like all at once. Yeah. So as excited as I am for for the games to actually start, I'm also excited for the date to come out that they're playing. Like if it's mm-hmm. in a month, and just kind of the getting the storylines back into gear because like the LeBron maybe overtaking Giannis's MVP storyline is something that is never going to come to fruition, but was just starting to get legs and stuff yep. like that. So uh, it's sports I miss, but um, we'll get them back one day and it'll, it'll be great. Yeah. I mean this, the day we get them back, I was thinking about that, like the first night of the NBA, first day of baseball, even though I'm not the biggest baseball guy, like I'll watch anything at this point. I need, right, right. I need, I need something in my life where someone wins and someone loses. So Thank you again for joining me. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to the podcast. I'm sure this will not be the first Quarantine Basketball podcast with Sam. More to come. And thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks, guys.